Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. As the economic and social impacts of the coronavirus pandemic continue to deepen and spread, some groups are hit harder than others. This week, we look at some of the resources that exist to help. Earlier this spring, in a project called Arizona Addicted, Arizona Public Media did a deep dive into the opioid addiction crisis in our region. Back before the pandemic, we asked to hear your personal experiences with substance use and addiction, and you told us. There were so many sad stories. We wanted to share excerpts of a few of the anonymous messages we received read by AZPM staffers. We have watched our son struggle with opioid addiction for six years. He has overdosed, he has been in ICU, and he has been to jail all multiple times. Devastating, destructive, heartbreaking, and helpless barely scratch the tip of the iceberg of pain that we have been through. What I want people to know is that nobody is happy being an addict, and addicts can't just stop. It's like a compulsion. What I would like to see is better access to mental health care and rehabilitation. And not just 12-step rehab, but rehab that gets to the core of why and how the addict got to the place that they are. And immediate help for when they are released from jail or prison. I was drafted into the Army Infantry, served with honor and merit. Three years later, came home with more than 12 crushed vertebrae from jumping out of helicopters which went undetected for 15 years. Twelve laminectomies over the next 12 years only taught me that severe spinal stenosis and severe ankylosing spondylitis can't be fixed to where the pain is reduced. And now I am made to endure the pain with minimal control. I wish I had run to Canada rather than allow myself to be forced to serve this uncaring nation. I am a 70-year-old woman with significant arthritis in my ankles, wrists, fingers, and feet. I have bone-on-bone arthritis in my knee and severe degenerative disc syndrome in my back. I've seriously tried every available therapy in order to continue my active life that included travel, a variety of outdoor sports, an active life devoted to human service. The only thing that has ever really worked to keep me going through the pain is the one tramadol I took every morning for a number of years. Flash forward. No doctor I've seen so far in Arizona will any longer prescribe this medication for me. It was clearly keeping an older woman functioning and active, so why can I no longer get the medicinal help that was working for me? It feels like elder abuse from where I sit. I can't even ask for it now without being labeled a drug seeker. Like all addictions, slave in Latin, opioids are one of many substances that falsely feed the whole in the soul and create an illusion of safety, security, and nirvana. My husband was a highly functioning alcoholic, which had been a multi-generational repeat on his father's side. My sons are alcoholics, too. One functions well and one does not. Both of my sons had very stable and good upbringings. There was never any trauma or abuse. It doesn't matter what the upbringing is. Drug and alcohol addiction doesn't care if you were brought up as a prince or a princess, or if you were brought up homeless and abused. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. 
As those listeners' stories convey, substance use and addiction are challenging during so-called normal times. The pandemic and related social distancing and stay-at-home orders are challenging, stressful, and scary for all of us. But it can be worse for people who already struggle with addiction or pre-existing mental health challenges. As Koich Nisimone reports, crisis lines are seeing a steady increase in calls due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hope Incorporated is a peer and family-run organization in Tucson that has offered recovery-based community services for over 30 years. The program manager of Hope's Warm Line, Michael Van Story, says that over the past month they have seen a 40% increase in calls and are helping people find new coping skills during this time. Depression and anxiety, their, their normal coping skills aren't really helping them manage through the day that it, the severities increase so much that they're panicking more. They're, the fact that they can't get a hold or go into their providers as they normally would too when they're feeling, uh, having a bad day. Bansori says that they are encouraging people to get more exercise and emphasizing the importance of staying in touch with friends and family members. But he says that social isolation can be even more dangerous for those in recovery because it increases the severity of symptoms, which can lead to new addictions or relapse. A lot of people, uh, even though they're addicted and shouldn't be and it's illegal and all this, they're going to be cut away from their supplier or have to cut down. And then that's just going to increase their, their detox. And it's, put it this way, it's not the healthiest way to quit. Their mental health is going to take a toll and probably just add more trauma to their background uh, and give them more reason to, um, to abuse. Fun Story says that it's crucial for anyone experiencing depression and anxiety right now to have a daily check-in. And he says that this is where Hope's warm line comes in. People who don't have a whole lot of support or family or are alone in this world already, um, utilizing something like the warm line to just reach out and talk to somebody, have that socialization with somebody to let them know they're not in this alone. The warm line is available seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. All calls are anonymous and intakes or assessments are not necessary. I'm Koichni Simone, Arizona Public Media. Another addiction support group, Alcoholics Anonymous, is well known for its robust schedule of in-person meetings. We talked with Kathy of AA's Tucson chapter about how the group is adjusting to not being together physically. For the most part, groups right away got on board with doing video meetings, um, either on Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams or other, you know, other kind of venues, avenues to do that. Um, almost all of them have gotten on to that. Some meetings have uh, suspended for now. There are very few that are still meeting when it's, you know, maybe three to five people. And then uh, a lot of new meetings have started up. Um, so, and there's also, AA is kind of known for doing workshops uh, about how to carry the message. So there is a lot of workshops right now online as well. When it comes to the online meeting versus the in-person meeting, obviously they're different. Do, do they have the same... The feel, because camaraderie is such a big part of, of getting together with a group of people, especially talking about issues like alcoholism. Well, I th everyone seems to be super grateful for them, in including myself. Um, it is, of course, not the same 
Um, uh, there's a lot of hugging that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. My very first meeting, the, the only thing I remember from that is receiving one of the best hugs I'd ever had in my life. So I think uh, we're all missing that, um, the touch, you know, human touch, just like the rest of the world is. Um, but, there, but it does seem to work pretty well. Is there still a wide variety of meeting times? Again, that's one of the things that AA is known for is meetings all hours of the day all over a city like Tucson or, or any other city. Is that still true, at least the hours, uh, a, a large variety for people? The last I looked, uh, there is a Google Doc that shows all of the meetings that are online right now. Just one of the members has uh, volunteered to keep track. And the last I looked, there was about 15 a day online in Tucson. 520-624-4183 is the uh, phone number for the local central office uh, for Tucson. Does that number work, for lack of a better term, as a hotline also? For example, somebody who is staying at home, doing their best to follow the orders of the governor and, and doctors, realizes they need some help. Uh, is that a place, and maybe they've not approached Alcoholics Anonymous before, is that a place they can start with to to get some guidance? That is a perfect place uh, to call that number. You're always going to get a live person um, and someone to talk to. Um, and it's always an alcoholic. It's not a professional or an answering service. It's always another recovering alcoholic. You mentioned that first meeting you went to. It was probably the best hug you've ever gotten. And you're not the first person who has been to meetings I've heard say something like that. In this time, is there a way to to give that hug to somebody who's just starting out? Well, virtually. <laughs> we really, you know, we're really trying to keep our eye on new people coming in and newcomers. Um, and really just, I've noticed that, you know, we're all really trying to make them feel welcome, to have that same feeling of welcomeness when they come in um, and encouraging them to share and bring up how they're feeling and how they're doing. And, uh, you know, in, in chat boxes, giving them phone numbers so that they have someone to call and talk to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're doing everything we can to also extend the hand uh, to that brand new person so that they feel as welcome as we did when we first came in. So if this continues, is this the, the new future or will do you think things will change over time uh, with Alcoholics Anonymous to find some sort of balance between the old uh, and the new? I think that we'll always meet in person if we can. I, but I do think that people are finding that this is a really easy way to maybe go to a meeting um, in another state with someone that they know from elsewhere. Um, I've asked to be a speaker at a meeting in Germany. So it is opening the door. And it, I think it'll really open the door to people who are homebound, um, loners, remote communities. You know, we do a lot of outreach with um, 
the Native American uh, reservations, and this might be a way that we can meet meet face-to-face more. You know, one of the things that we are doing is uh, we're trying to reach out to the professionals to let them know if somebody needs help uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous, here's how you can, you know, get them to us, even though there's not the in-person meetings. I think we're all just doing our best to try to uh, make sure that they don't feel alone. Kathy, thank you so much for meeting with us online. You're welcome. And thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys reaching out to us. You can find information about local AA meetings at aatucson.org or via the AA Meeting Guide app. Or you can call 520-624-4183. The stay-at-home order, remote work, and social distancing mean most of us are spending much more time at home than we used to. But as the pandemic causes increased stress around finances, jobs, and personal relationships, for some, home may not be the safest place. Tasha Menneker is the co-chief executive officer of the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. We asked if she's seen an increase in calls to their hotline. Yes, this is an interesting time. So while we suspect that more domestic violence is happening in homes as a result of the stay-at-home order and social distancing, some programs have seen an increase in calls. Other programs have actually seen a decrease. So I can speak to our coalition on our helpline. We've seen about a 10 to 15 percent increase in calls to us. Um, One of our concerns about the decrease in calls to local, some local programs is that survivors, one, might not be able to access a phone or a means to make that call, or they may not be aware that programs and services are open. So it's important to us to get that awareness out that all the shelters and programs are still open at this time. If someone finds themselves in a situation and we're in this time of of sheltering and things like that, what do they need to do if they find themselves in a, in a domestic violence situation? So if someone is experiencing domestic violence at home, we always say that the survivor knows their situation best. So for some survivors, they might be able to find a way to call a local helpline or one of the national hotlines. There's a national domestic violence hotline. There's also a national sexual assault hotline. The Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence also has a helpline. So if someone would like to call us or access our online chat, we can help connect them to local resources in their area based on what their need is. That might be shelter for some people. Other people may not be looking for shelter. They might be looking for some other type of services. So we help them with whatever it is that they need. You said you have seen an uptick. We'll call it a spike in calls to your hotline. Why do you think we're seeing those that uptick now? I do think that one of the reasons we're seeing an uptick in calls to our helpline is because people are experiencing increased stress during this time. And that's true for all of us. It's an unprecedented time. Whenever there's general stress and especially financial stress or difficulty accessing basic needs, that just puts people in a situation where there is increased risk for violence and discord happening in homes. So I think the COVID outbreak is potentially a trigger in some households and perhaps creating some circumstances and situations that weren't in place before, or it might be exacerbating in situations where domestic violence was already present. You said the helpline is still functioning. The website is still functioning. 
How have the services changed due to the stay-at-home orders and all the things going on surrounding this pandemic? So fortunately, all the domestic violence shelters and programs, including our coalition, are all still open and considered essential during this stay-at-home order. But we are seeing some changes in how services are provided as a result of coronavirus. So while shelters are still open, certainly the shelters are complying with CDC recommendations, they're in contact with their local health departments, and they're putting measures in place to ensure the safety and well-being of both their staff and the residents. The other change that we've seen is for a number of programs, they also offer community-based services and mobile advocacy. So those are advocates who might meet a survivor where they're at in terms of their home or another location, and they'll work with that survivor perhaps to get an order of protection or navigate the legal system. Where they might have been meeting with that survivor in person in the past, at this time, most of that is being done remotely, so that might be over the telephone or video conferencing. But those services are still available. In, in this video conferencing world and, and the new phone calls we're doing, I know your staff is working in their homes. How do they ensure privacy? So one of the things I would say that advocates are very good at is ensuring privacy and confidentiality. And so most of the time, because advocates' families are aware of the type of work they do and the types of restrictions that they have in terms of confidentiality under the law, it's important for them to have that communication with their family members and um, let them know when they absolutely cannot have someone in the room with them. And sometimes it's even in the room next to them, right? Because we don't want anyone to hear any of these conversations. So for some advocates, this has meant sometimes they have to take phone calls in their car in the driveway, but advocates are very resourceful and creative. And so they're looking at different ways that they can have those conversations in absolute privacy. There's information on your website that seems like, especially right now, it would be helpful for anyone practicing social distancing, like the guide to self-care. Uh, what advice do you have for people right now, whether they're survivors of domestic violence or sexual abuse? Yes, so we do have some great tools on our website. Thank you for bringing those up. I hope people will check them out. We have a self-care activity booklet as well as, for example, a grounding toolkit. And these have different techniques that are useful for anyone, whether they're a survivor or not, to manage stress and anxiety. And I think, you know, if we're being honest with ourselves, we all experience that every once in a while. So it gives tips on how to regulate your emotions and your body in times of high stress. So things, for example, like deep breathing, um, having a routine can be very helpful to people during a time of uncertainty. So even if you're working from home, if having a, a, a routine that you do every day, making sure you take breaks. Um, so there's a lot of good tips on there that might be useful to someone um, during this time. Well, thanks for uh, sitting down with us online for a few minutes. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Tasha Meneker with the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. Their helpline can be reached at 800-782-6400. More resources, including how to help others you think are being harmed, are available on their website. You can find a link in the show notes. For the elderly, the coronavirus adds additional complications. Programs like meal assistance and home care were brought into question across the country. 
In Pima County, the programs have largely continued, but as the Buzz's Vanessa Ontiveros reports, some needs, like personal interaction, are harder to meet due to social distancing. W. Mark Clark is the president and CEO of the Pima Council on Aging, a nonprofit group that provides information and services to elderly people and their caregivers. He says that the COVID-19 crisis has not stopped his group from doing their work. The council runs the local Meals on Wheels program, which delivers food to people who cannot cook for themselves due to age or disability. It also provides in-home care for people who need assistance with tasks like bathing or housekeeping. Um, we are taking uh, requests for assistance in the whole variety of areas that we assist, not just meals um, or in-home support services. We're also providing people with information about Medicare. We're talking with family caregivers. We have caregiver support groups going on. There's, we're doing uh, essentially almost everything that we were doing before uh, the epidemic struck. Clark says the number of calls to their helpline hasn't dramatically increased, but people are asking for different information than before. We're now getting a lot of questions about stimulus checks um, and other, other kind of benefits like that that we, of course, weren't getting a month ago. Calls asking for help with grocery shopping and finding cleaning supplies have also increased. However, there is another aspect of aging that's harder to address, social isolation among older adults. In addition to feelings of loneliness, social isolation is related to several physical conditions like heart disease, high blood pressure, and a weakened immune system, according to the National Institute on Aging. Those can also be contributing factors to complications from COVID-19. And older adults who may be less social than younger groups are particularly at risk. I've participated in some discussions about trying to open uh, what are sometimes called warm lines, and I think there are some of those in the community. Um, I think that's one of the areas that we're continuing to think about and um, see some evolution in. Existing helplines designed to keep older people connected are available on the Council's website. Clark says support groups for caregivers have turned virtual, and the community can help too. Healthy younger people with free time on their hands can join a network of neighborhood support groups called the Neighbors Care Alliance, for example. But even simple things like a friendly wave or a phone call to see how someone's doing are a great start. I know in my neighborhood, uh, I see people out. I, I've seen more of my neighbors in the last three weeks than I have in the last year, probably, as they're out keeping distance, you know, walking and being out with kids and things like that. So... Um, staying in touch with folks, I think, is a very important. Those interested in the council services can call their helpline at 520-790-7262. That's 520-790-7262. For The Buzz, I'm Vanessa Ontiveros. Businesses all over Pima County are figuring out how they can keep themselves afloat and help the community during the pandemic. The Buzz producer, Ariana Brocious, tells us one story of a business stepping up. Nicole Dahl is the creative director of Hotel McCoy, which she describes as Tucson's first art hotel. The hotel, which sits at the intersection of Silver Lake and I-10, serves as a commission-free gallery, with local art in the rooms and lobby. Dahl says when it became clear the pandemic would, in her words, bring the hospitality industry to its knees, they wanted to take care of their employees first. The leadership of Hotel McCoy and the investors got together and committed to every employee that if they were displaced by this virus economically, that they would have a free place to stay at the hotel, um, as well as daily breakfast for them to take home to their family. 
With employees taken care of, they then turned their attention to artists, musicians, and hospitality workers who might have lost income or housing due to the pandemic. A lot of people who are artists, musicians, and hospitality employees don't have solid housing situations. A lot of people are renting rooms without a formal lease or renting a guest house without a formal lease. And when you combine the economic circumstances with the fact that we are in a pandemic, which you know, is very contagious and, and culminates in fear, there are people who are renting rooms to artists and hospitality workers and other employees who have been affected who want them out immediately because they don't want to share their home with someone who's not uh, social distancing the same as them or maybe still has to go work some shifts. She says the hotel was also looking for ways to pivot and stay in business. So they created a program to offer low-cost, long-term rentals of their 21 kitchen studios to artists, musicians, and hospitality workers in need. In addition, grants are available to further lower that cost for some people. That's just our way of giving people a cushion. If you are displaced from your home right now, you don't have time to gather a deposit to go buy furniture. So this just gives people a place to sort of land on their feet, safely social distance, lay down their head, know that everything's taken care of, all the utilities. Dahl says they've filled about half their rooms so far, mostly with artists. If circumstances were different, this would be such a cool situation because we have some really wildly talented and cool people staying with us right now. They're also going to open up space to healthcare workers who may be furloughed. But Dahl says artists are essential in a different way because what do we turn to? Like, I don't know about you, when all this happens, I I put on music to make myself feel better. I watch a new series on Netflix to take my mind off the stress. I read a good book. You know, we turn to the arts for therapeutic reasons, but it seems to be the artists are the last to be taken care of in the community. For The Buzz, I'm Ariana Brocious. People interested in Hotel McCoy's rental program can email nicole at hotelmccoy.com. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find links to all the resources discussed in today's show on our website, along with continued reporting on the pandemic from the AZPM news team. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.